BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Aries exceeding in strength, chariot rider, golden helmed, doughty in heart, shield bearer, savior of cities, harnessed in bronze, strong of arm, unwearying, mighty with the spear, O defender of Olympus. Father of warlike Nike, ally of Thamus, stern governor of the rebellious, leader of the righteous men, sceptered king of manliness, who whirl your fiery sphere among the planets in their sevenfold course through the ether, wherein your blazing steeds ever bear you above the third firmament of heaven. Hear me, helper of men, giver of dauntless youth. Shed down a kindly ray from above upon my life and strength of war that I may be able to drive away bitter cowardice from my head and crush down the deceitful impulses of my soul. Restrain also the keen fury of my heart, which provokes me to tread the ways of blood-curdling strife. Rather, O blessed one, Give you me boldness to abide within the harmless laws of peace, avoiding strife and hatred and the violent fiends of death.
Oh, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host who loves mythology and experiences a particular thrill when she gets to look at just one god in particular, finding whatever stories I want to tell. And now I'm rambling. My name is Liv. That quote I read at the top was the Homeric hymn to Ares. Because today I'm here with an episode dedicated to the god of war, the god of bloodlust, Ares. Just like last week's episode on the Allodi, this idea came out of a recent Patreon episode that I did. On my Patreon, I release mostly monthly episodes where I ask my patrons and what theme they want, and then ask them to ask whatever questions they have about the theme. Sometimes it's gods like Ares or Poseidon, Hestia or Hera, or sometimes it's broader ideas like Homeric epic and oral storytelling. Either way, I answer all my patron questions, and we all end up learning something along the way. It's super fun and casual, and I get to just ramble on about gods and ideas. And, well, last month was Aries, and it was super interesting, both hearing the questions that listeners had on this particular god and researching him in general. In fact, it was so fun and interesting that I decided that this god of war deserves his own episode on the regular show. And that's how we got here. But if you're interested in listening to all these bonus episodes on my Patreon and asking questions in upcoming episodes, consider becoming a patron. The base level is just five bucks a month and you get access to lots and lots of past episodes on so many different topics, including the Drunk Myth series that I do sometimes with Ancient History Fangirl and the crossover series that I do with the Partial Historians examining Greek versus Roman mythology. There's lots. You'll love it. There's a link in this episode's description. And if you don't want to join my Patreon... No hard feelings. You listening to the podcast is all the contribution that I ask for. So thank you for being here. You're doing great. This is episode 182. For the god of bloodlust, he's kind of a softie. Stories of Ares. Is this episode's title deceiving? I mean, kind of. Kind of not. I just liked it. We'll get there. For the god of something so visceral and violent, Ares is one of the quieter men up on Mount Olympus. While his brother Apollo was out attempting to assault women so badly that they had to transform themselves into trees, or falling in love with men and having them die in tragic and deeply avoidable circumstances, Ares was probably just hanging out in bed with Aphrodite, having a nice time, until Hephaestus comes home. Or when Ares's father, Zeus, is out terrorizing literally every human or nymph with his sexual needs, Ares is punishing a man for assaulting his daughter. Ares gets a bad rap. That's the nature of war. But he's a fascinating character with far more complexity than you might imagine. So let's start at the beginning. When Zeus and Hera had first got together, after Zeus had had a couple of relationships with other goddesses, resulting in children like Athena and others, they immediately began to procreate. I'd say this is a duh because Zeus moment, but mostly it's just because the stories at this stage are primarily concerned with populating the divine world and Mount Olympus, so it only makes sense that the kids get started early. So Zeus and Hera become the parents of three children, 
Hebe, a goddess of youth who will go on to marry Heracles when he becomes a god of, after death. Ilithia, a goddess of childbirth who tags along at every birth on earth. And Ares, the god of war and bloodlust among a handful of other war-related concepts. That Ares is born alongside these two goddesses is interesting in itself. There isn't anything to differentiate him from these harmless, even life-giving concepts. While popular culture might have you believe otherwise, there really isn't anything in Ares' character that makes him inherently evil or bad or even problematic generally. He's just the god of a necessary evil, war. But that doesn't mean he's always out there doing good either, just that he isn't evil or violent in nature when he's not at war. Much like how Hades is often made the villain for the simple fact that modern humans fear death, Ares is often depicted as a villain because of the modern hatred of war. Like most of the gods, we don't have any stories of Ares' childhood, and in fact, he isn't a part of many detailed stories at all. But the one he is a part of is famous and deeply, deeply fun. I've told you all the story of Aphrodite and Ares' affair before, but I will recap it here. One of the main things we know about Ares is that he loved Aphrodite, and Aphrodite loved him back. It is such a rare notion in Greek myth that I personally hold on to it tightly. But as you'll also remember, for all their love, Aphrodite was not married to Ares. She was married to Hephaestus. But not for lack of Ares' trying. See, when Hephaestus was trying to get back at his mother, Hera, for throwing him off Mount Olympus, he built her a throne. He built her a beautiful, incredible throne that she was immediately keen to sit on. It was fancy as fuck. Hephaestus makes all the fanciest things, after all. But as soon as she sat down, the throne transformed and trapped her there. No god could free her, and soon Zeus was calling upon all the gods for a solution to his imprisoned wife. He eventually promised Aphrodite in marriage to whoever could free Hera. Aphrodite and Ares both figured it would be Ares. And this has to be one of the only times, aside from her affair with Anchises maybe, where Aphrodite isn't in full control of her sexuality, where she's lacking in agency. Because, well, Ares tries to free Hera so that he can be with the woman that he loves, but he can't do it. The only one who can free her is Hephaestus himself, and he finally gets that idea that if he just frees Hera from his own invention, he will get to marry Aphrodite. Surprise, surprise, though, their marriage isn't a happy one, and she famously has an affair with Ares that gets noticed by the sun, Helios, as he flies over them one day. Hephaestus then traps them in a net, or chains, and, and calls upon the Olympians to witness their embarrassment. That story appears in the Odyssey, and I've told it to you all before. I love it. If you want to look back on my Aphrodite episodes, it's listed in the episode's description. It's a good one. I've also talked about it in Hephaestus' episode, where we get a new kind of context to his character. I've linked that one, too, if you want to listen. Still, this is about Ares, and my point is just that, well, Ares loved Aphrodite, and she loved him back. They weren't together officially, but they were very together unofficially. While Aphrodite had no children with her actual husband, Hephaestus, she did have at least three with Ares. Together, they had the children Deimos, Phobos, and Harmonia. And according to a few sources that apparently live in my head as canon, they're also the parents of Eros. I'm not sure why I always think that that's more confirmed than it is, but I always do. 
We're going to leave him out today, though, because their confirmed children are Deimos, Phobos, and Harmonia. Deimos is the god who personifies terror, and Phobos is a god who personifies panic. Together, they're essentially just gods of fear. And their sister, Harmonia, the goddess of harmony. So together with their parents, the gods of love and war, they make up quite the family. Like most of the gods, Ares also has quite the enormous list of mortal offspring, children of gods just hanging out on Earth. But like a lot of Zeus's children too, these instances are less about the stories themselves and more about ascribing divine origins to important people, both mythologically and historically, in various regions. It's more historical than it is mythological generally, a way of people understanding their own origins in the gods based on their region. And frankly, I find that even more interesting these days, like just this reality of myth, the way real people used it in their everyday lives. So Ares had a daughter with a woman named Agraulos, who was herself the daughter of Kecrops, one of Athens' mythological first kings. This would be the Athenians' means of connecting themselves with Ares. And we'll get back to the story of their daughter. Her name was Alkippi. He was the father of the mortal king Nissos of Megara, I told that story in the origins of King Minos of Crete and Nissos' daughter, Scylla. Once again, this is Megara's way of connecting themselves with the god. He was the father of Oinomaos of Pisa, whose mother was Harpina, the daughter of a river god. Oinomaos is famous for being the father of Hippodamia, the woman Pelops competed to marry, nearly being sabotaged by that father, who had perhaps a too close relationship with his daughter. That story would result in the second curse on the family, since Pelops' father is the famously cursed Tantalus. Ares was the father of the Diomedes of Heracles' labors, the man who kept man-eating horses in his kingdom in Thrace. Ares is regularly referred to as the Thracian god. He loved that region, which was known for its warlike nature. Hence, the stories of Ares' connection and kings like Diomedes— Now, how much of that is a Greek dislike of the Thracian people or a judgment on them, and how much comes from the actual Thracian people, is nearly impossible to say. We know very little from Thrace as an actual place, and so much of it from the Greeks and Romans and their interactions with the Thracians. In the Argonautica, the Hellenistic poem telling the story of Jason and the Argonauts, Ares is mentioned as being the father of all the Amazons. In this telling, he was with a nymph named Harmonia, who is not the Harmonia who is also his daughter with Aphrodite. It's just a creepy coincidence. He was with this nymph Harmonia who, quote, bore him girls who fell in love with fighting. Again, like these other stories of his children, this is a means of explaining the nature of the Amazons. Myths of those warlike women had existed for hundreds of years before Apollonius wrote his Argonautica, and so he seemingly popped in this new detail that accounts for their warlike nature. Duh, he basically says, they're the daughters of Ares. How else could these women be so into war and battle? And as for the women that Ares was with themselves, well, we know very little. 
But what we don't hear in any of the ancient Greek sources that I have found is that Ares was outright violent with any of them, or even of any stories where the question of consent is debatable. We either know absolutely nothing about their encounter except that it happened, as is the case with these children who are explicitly meant to just connect the god to these various regions, or in the case of Aphrodite, his most famous affair, we know that it was very, very consensual. I find this really telling, again, about this character who has these really negative and violent associations, but doesn't appear to behave that way outside of the battlefield. He is only violent when the time comes. Compare that to Zeus, or worse, Poseidon, and you have very different gods. Zeus is always wielding his power, that's where his more troubling tendencies come from, this need to exert his control. Whereas Poseidon, I don't know, is he just symbolic of the violence of the sea? Like That's the only reason I can think of for why he and his sons are so explicitly associated with violating women. Violently. Meanwhile, we have Ares, literally a god devoted to blood and gore and violence, and I have found no instances where he assaults a woman, beyond one or two questionable references where the consent is up for debate, but they're from really late sources writing in the Roman period, and even they are far, far less explicit than many of Zeus and Poseidon's encounters with women. Similarly to these interesting details, or rather lack of details, when it comes to the women he was with, the depiction of Ares varies in really interesting ways. When he is in his role as god of war, either during a battle or some other moment where he's being distinctly connected with this act, he's depicted as, well, pretty terrifying. In war, he rides across the battlefield in his chariot with the goddess of strife, Eris, and his twin sons, Phobos and Deimos, at his side. They scream for blood and war, bringing all the horrors of war. All of its, its blood, death, tragedy. They are, in essence, where all the worst aspects of war come from. But when he is depicted outside of the battlefield, he's just kind of a guy hanging out, doing his thing, causing little to no trouble. When it comes to war, though, he serves as a kind of counter to the goddess of war, Athena. One of the most common questions about these two is how their roles in war are distinguished. Athena is the goddess of wisdom and warcraft, whereas Ares is the god of war and bloodshed. In the simplest terms, Athena is the goddess of strategy, the brains behind the war, and Ares is the god of the horror, the violence of the war. That's why Athena is so much more popular as a goddess, so much more broadly respected and worshipped. The Greeks didn't glorify war, and so their opinion of Ares reflects that. They had a healthy respect for him, a healthy fear of what he could and would bring with him, but they didn't seek him out. They might worship him or sacrifice to him if war was imminent or already happening, but this was used very specifically and is not mentioned in too many sources. This is likely because of everything I just said. If they're intentionally not glorifying war, then why record when you have to worship or sacrifice to Ares? So it's possible it happened a lot more often, because if you have to do it, you're probably at least not going to bother writing it down in the history books.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Would I even be me if I didn't use an episode on Aries to mention my favorite couple in myth, Cadmus and Harmonia? No, absolutely not. That is absurd. So as I mentioned earlier, one of Ares' children with Aphrodite is this goddess of harmony, Harmonia. She's the daughter of theirs that isn't about panic and terror, rather, she's the opposite. Together with her brothers, she's a fascinating examination of how the Greeks understood this combination of love and war. There are two sides to everything, and love and war are no exception. Aphrodite can be angered, can be violent, and Ares can be calm, even kind. So their children are the same even if they don't necessarily get the same complexities in their own individual characters, they just get to personify the alternates. But Harmonia is particularly interesting because where Phobos and Deimos are just these personifications, literally just the idea itself in a human-esque form, all they do is accompany Ares into war, but otherwise have no stories of their own. Meanwhile, Harmonia had a long and complex story that I told on the show just a few months ago, because I fucking love it. But what I didn't get too deep into then was her and her husband Cadmus's relationship with Ares. When Cadmus first arrived in Boeotia, in this region where he's going to go on to found the famous city of Thebes, there was a dragon in his way. The Ismenian dragon, named for the spring that it guarded, was the child of Ares. One of his two dragon children, actually, along with the Colchian dragon of the Argonautica. At the instruction of Athena, Cadmus killed the dragon so that he could found the city there, and he planted the dragon's teeth, and from those teeth sprung men. 
The same thing happened with Jason and the Argonauts, but it had different results. These men prove much more important in Cadmus's story. The men sprung from the earth are called the Spartoi, sown men. According to some versions of the story, though, Ares was angry with Cadmus for his killing of the dragon. And I mean, who blames him? You have a cool dragon as a kid and your daughter's new husband comes in and kills him? Rude, honestly. So according to some takes, Cadmus is then required to serve Ares for a year. The details, though, are totally unclear and don't appear in too many sources. It isn't even always the case that Ares is even mad at Cadmus. In fact, at the end of their lives, it's Ares who transforms Cadmus and Harmonia into snakes so that they may live their lives in peace. Or in later sources, they're also brought to the lands of the blessed, where they can live for eternity as, well, blessed. This is one of the few, perhaps the only surviving story from Greek myth where this type of transformation is explicitly a gift to the couple, not a punishment. Their family has become cursed as all fuck, possibly due to a necklace gifted by Hephaestus in his anger at Harmonia, who's the daughter of the his wife and Ares. Whew. And Ares knows that Harmonia and Cadmus don't deserve their family's fate, this curse. She is the daughter of gods, the only daughter of such powerful gods to live as a mortal, to marry a mortal. So in the end, Ares saves them, his daughter and her husband turns them into snakes, where they live happily, these just content little serpent lives. There's a hill in Athens, just below the Acropolis, called the Areopagus. If you're visiting, you can also buy a beer from the concession, climb up on that hill, and look out at the beautiful view of the Acropolis. You might even be like me and Jenny Williamson of Ancient History Fangirl and name that hill Beer Hill, before realizing that it is the famous, famous Areopagus. Or you can just listen to me tell you the two stories given for why it is called the Areopagus. One version comes from the playwright Aeschylus, from his play The Eumenides, about the trial of Orestes after the murder of his mother, Clytemnestra. Aeschylus says, quote, And this hill of Ares, the seat and camp of the Amazons, when they came with an army in resentment against Theseus, and in those days built up this new citadel with lofty towers to rival his, and sacrificed to Ares, from which this rock takes its name, the Hill of Ares. So in this anecdote from Aeschylus, the Hill of Ares was named, or rather dedicated, by the Amazons when they waged their war against Theseus for his abduction of their queen Antiope. They built their own citadel there, in Athens, right at the base of the Acropolis, just to really show Theseus how powerful they were. It's badass. The other version of where the hill gets its name is a little more tragic, but also seems to be much more of a regional story passed down over generations, one known by the people. And that's because it appears in Pausanias, who wrote about the history and culture, the stories of Greece, by traveling all around, asking the locals for their story. 
he was writing very late, like during the Roman period. But because of how he did his work, we still get so many smaller regional details, even stories from people who might never otherwise have their words recorded in any way. Just everyday people or even women or possibly even enslaved people who would have given us myths that we wouldn't otherwise hear of, or mythological characters connected to certain regions we wouldn't otherwise know about. That's a tangent, but I'm having a real thing for Pausanias right now. Anyway, Pausanias, when he's writing about Athens and speaking with the people of Athens and Attica, asking for their personal stories and histories, he tells us a story of Ares and one of his mortal daughters, Alcippe, who I mentioned earlier. Alcippe was assaulted by a man named Halrothios, a son of Poseidon. Surprise, surprise. When Ares found out that his daughter had been assaulted by this man, he killed him. He was then put on trial for this murder in Athens, and on that hill of the Areopagus, he was acquitted. Near this hill is where, essentially, the courthouse of Athens was, and so the name Areopagus also refers to that governance, that governing body, where people were put on trial for, among other things, homicide. So we get this etiological myth of Ares and his acquittal, and it has an even stronger history. It's directly connecting to the actual governing body of classical Athens. Plus, it has to be one of the few stories of a father exacting this kind of revenge for a crime committed against his daughter, and that it's Ares against a son of Poseidon is so symbolic. As I always try to remind you, it's Poseidon and his sons that tend to be the most violent against women, whereas gods like Ares and Hades are the ones who get the bad rap in modern reception just because what they represented feels scary now. I'm going to leave you today with a few fun anecdotes that we have about Ares. There was a long-standing tradition that at the very first Olympic Games, the gods themselves participated, and so they gave the games their name and their importance. One might think that someone like Ares would reign supreme over other gods in contests like the Olympics, but this is another fun instance of wrapping your head around how the Greeks understood Ares, and thus how they understood war. They didn't glamorize war, they didn't glorify it. And so they didn't glamorize or glorify Ares. He was just a part of the whole, the god of the necessary evil that was war. And because of that, well, he couldn't even beat Apollo at boxing. Herodotus, the so-called father of history, writing his histories of the region in the 5th century BCE, said, quote, Zeus held the games in honor of his victory over Kronos. The record of victors include Apollo, who outran Hermes and beat Ares at boxing. And then, 700 or so years later, once again we have Pausanias traveling Greece and asking locals for their stories. He was very straightforward in his writing on this subject, too. Quote, some say that Zeus wrestled here at Olympia with Kronos himself for the throne, while others say he held the games in honor of his victory over Kronos. The record of victors includes Apollo, who outran Hermes and beat Ares at boxing. I love this. 
So Pausanias traveled to Olympia 700 years after Herodotus was writing, and he was told the same story. And even, it seems, using the same words to describe it, though of course that could be based on the translations, still, you get a real sense of how Olympia held their story close. And who can blame them? It's Olympia. But you also get this idea that, like, even Ares, you know, isn't good at everything. And if it's not war-related, maybe he's just mediocre. Ah, uh, nerds, thank you for listening. Ares is such an interesting character. He's really lacking in distinct stories beyond the ones relating to Aphrodite, but he features in to such smaller anecdotes and epics in such interesting ways. He's screaming for blood on the battlefield of the Iliad, and then he's losing a boxing match to Apollo, of all people, at the Olympics. He's the father of warlords and also the goddess of literal harmony, gifting her and her husband with eternal peace when their time came. He explicitly was unable to win Aphrodite in marriage, no matter that both of them actually wanted to marry each other, but he stayed with her even once she was married to somebody else. You just know Zeus would never. He could not handle that blow to his masculinity. But here's Ares being like, I love her. That's all that matters. I'm really glad I got to do this deep dive into all the little bits and pieces of his character. I think it adds so much to our understanding of him as a god, but also our understanding of the ancient Greek people, their priorities, and how they understood the horrors of war. They didn't blame Ares for, for those horrors, even though he was the cause. Instead, they gave him this character that appears to be able to compartmentalize. He's a good man when he needs to be, and he's a vicious warrior when he needs to be. He's complex and interesting, and frankly, I find him much more compelling than almost all of the other gods. I think it's safe to say that only Dionysus outweighs Ares in my books. And I mean, no one can compete with wine. All to say, big thanks to my Patreon patrons for inspiring this episode with your amazing questions about Ares. And again, if you're interested in more bonus episodes, particularly episodes where you get to ask any and all of your burning mythology questions, consider becoming a patron. And with that little plug, I will just leave you with another five-star review by one of you amazing listeners. I love you all for these reviews. They mean the whole world to me. This one is from Mills ACC in the States and is titled Best Mythology Podcast Out There. Was just recommended by a friend and oh, have I been missing out. The perfect blend of wit, humor, and sarcasm. Oh, your storytelling is top notch. Plus the lighthearted element these have to them and your soothing voice smoothly taking out all the misogynists. Perfect way to de-stress after a long day. Thank you for your service. I absolutely adore listening to this podcast. Thank you. I really love to hear that. That one made me extra happy. I love to hear that I'm succeeding in smoothly taking out all the misogynists. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. Thank you all for being awesome. I am Liv and I love this shit so damn much. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable and with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day.